What if I said to you this? Live like a king. Live like a king. Wonder how many siblings right now are thinking of, of, their, of their brothers and sisters, fanning them with large palm leaves and tossing grapes into their mouths. Maybe an image, something like this, comes into your mind. Maybe you think of the, the, the recent kingly inauguration. When you think of a king or a queen, you think of purple robes, you think of a, a rod or a staff, you think of a, a crown. Think of an inauguration in which an entire nation would celebrate you. You're rising to the, the throne, maybe with some famous singers like Katy Perry. There will be fireworks, there will be food, and there will be famous people. I'm sure if you think of being a king or queen or living like one, you know that you would have power over your subjects to enforce your rule and your law. And you would have subjects that express their loyalty to you, whether true or not. I'm sure that you would know that people would be willing to give their lives for you, wouldn't they? That there would be people hired to just protect you, to give up their life so that you are not harmed and so that the kingdom could last. You'd be heavily guarded, and I'm sure that you would think that your life would be one of what? Comfort. Lots and lots of comfort. Lots of riches, lots of power, lots of servants, Lots of prestige, lots of honor, and lots of protection. Castles, land, and wars against those who refuse your reign. There was an incident recently in our neighboring friend Canada where it had to do with a word, and the word was poutine. Everyone loves good poutine. I like good poutine. But they got into trouble about this word. You know why? Because the French spelling of this word is the exact way that is the Russian president's name is. So, Putin. So, people online took to the airs and said that they are, these restaurants were actually supporting Putin. And the restaurants had to come out and make some much-needed clarification and distance themselves from this individual. There's a word here that runs throughout this passage. It is the word king. Jesus' kingship, his kingdom. And it is a word that needs real good clarification. And that's what Jesus does for Pilate, for those who are reading this book originally, and for us here today. And I cannot express to you, in the political, cultural, and social climate that the church of Jesus Christ finds itself in, this truth is monumental. If we get this wrong, we get a lot wrong, folks. Jesus makes sure that you and I sitting here today in Galilee Church 2023 in the political and social and cultural environment that we find ourselves in 
know exactly what type of king and what type of kingdom he represents and that you and I are to represent as well. Amen? All right, so let's dig into this. There are three principles that we are going to be looking at today regarding Christ's kingship or his kingdom. The first one is its origin directs our operation, verses 35 through 36. I'll, actually, I'm going to start at 33, and then we'll get into the, the main point there of what he says. So he's talking to Pilate, and Pilate says to him, Therefore, Pilate enters in the praetorium, and he asks him, Are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus wants to know if he's saying this on your, on your own initiative, Pilate, or did others tell you about me? And what follows is a clarification of this idea of king, so that Pilate has... No confusion as to what he's talking about. So then Pilate answers, he says, I'm not a Jew, am I? Your own nation and the chief priests delivered you to me. What have you done? Jesus answers, and so begins the clarification. My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then my servants would be fighting so that I would not be handed over to the Jews. But as it is, my kingdom is not of this realm. What I'm about to talk about, I know can be, if misunderstood, be divisive if we take it the wrong way. And I just want you to understand, I'm trying to say everything that I'm trying to say very carefully and guarded, and I'm trying to best understand what Jesus is saying here for us today in 2023. Jesus' whole point here is that the kingdom that he represents is not like the kingdoms of this world and therefore does not operate in that way. That this kingdom that you and I are a part of is a spiritual kingdom first and foremost. And one of the dangers that I see in the church today is this this conflation of the earthly kingdom of this world and Christ's kingdom. And we're combining the two, and it is not biblical at all. Christian nationalism is what I'm talking about. Now, I know that it can be misunderstood, and I know that Christians in general get tagged with that name. However, there is a guy who is part of this Christian national movement, and he offers us a definition. I want to talk, I want to give you the definition. We're going to talk about it, and we're going to talk about how it relates to this verse. Christian nationalism is a spiritual, political, and cultural movement comprised of Christians who are working to build a parallel, parallel Christian society that is grounded in a biblical worldview. Now, on the face, that may not sound very bad, but we're going to talk about it a little bit more. He offers a book all on Christian nationalism, and he says this, this book is a guide for Christians to take dominion and to disciple their families, churches, and all nations for the glory of Jesus Christ, our King. It looks like what I've talked about and mentioned before 
invoking the name of Jesus and offering a prayer to God on January 6, 2021, thanking him for the opportunity to storm the U.S. Capitol, filling the chamber, quote, with patriots that love Jesus Christ. That is the extreme of Christian nationalism where we actually believe that in the name of God and in the name of Jesus Christ, we are gaining territory. We're actually storming the capital. Now, I know there's a bunch of things with that, and I know we don't have all the information. I understand all of that. But this is a real movement right now. Do not get me wrong. It is the combining of the cross and the flag into one. Guy says this regarding Christian nationalism. He says, if Jesus Christ is Lord, then he has to be Lord of our politics. That is an unarguable Christian truth that everybody argues about. Too many of us Christians confuse political convictions with spiritual ones. I'm guilty of it. We are insecure with ambiguity. We assume people of one Lord... One faith and one baptism must also promote one political agenda. Wrong. That assumption leads the church into trouble. It prompts us to make judgments about people that need to be left to God. And when the church confuses spiritual and, a, a, spiritual and political convictions, it is tempted to use political power to forward a spiritual agenda. That is what Jesus is talking about. He makes a clarification. Pilate thinks of king, and what is Pilate thinking of? Dominion, wars, army, conquering, and Jesus says, I'm not that type of king. That's automatically what comes into Pilate's mind, and Jesus wants to make sure that he understands something. Hey, Pilate, I'm not a threat to you the way that you think that I am. My kingdom is not of this world, therefore I am not going to fight like the kingdoms of this world fight. Just not going to do it. And we have to be clear on the priorities of Christ's kingdom and how that kingdom manifests itself and how that kingdom gains domain, so to speak, in the world today. You and I are not part of of this worldly kingdom. We no longer belong to it. Therefore, we do not operate according to its values. It is a spiritual kingdom, first and foremost. Where's the domain taken? It's in the hearts and the minds of men and women. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. And as our country and this world continues to spiral out of control, folks, it is this truth that is going to help us maintain our bearings and influence everything that we do. This truth here. Realizing this, living this out, making this our priority. I love my country. I gave five years of service in, to, for my country. I'm proud of that. I served in, in our state government for 11 years. I believe in law and order. I believe that Christians undoubtedly need to be politically involved. 
I believe we need to fight for justice and for the rights of those who cannot. However, this country is not where I find my primary citizenship. It's heaven. It's heaven. And because it's heaven, everything I do is shaped by that truth. That's the country I am truly fighting for. And our life here in America needs to be shaped and guided and grounded in in what Jesus is saying here. Our, Our kingdom is not established through worldly methods. They are not the enemy. They're not the enemy. Do we all agree upon that? Our enemy is not flesh and blood. Our enemy are the principalities and the powers that rule this realm, which they are enslaved to. Those people out there are the ones we are actually fighting for. We want them to be a part of our kingdom. And we are not to use the means of this world to gain them in that fashion. A key principle for the church of Jesus Christ is that we are not only to get our theology from the Bible, we are also to get our methodology from the Bible. What's God's methodology? Jesus, did he come with chariots? Did he come with an army? Did he come with swords? Did he come conquering? No. He came as a child, born in a manger. Throughout Scripture, God is doing what? He's cutting down armies, isn't He? And He's telling us, hey, don't trust in chariots. Don't trust in soldiers. Don't number your people. Trust in Me. Understand that it's My power through you that is going to accomplish My purpose for you and for the rest of this world. And it's not just this political realm. It's it's. It's everything that the world offers. Yes, we can use what the world gives us. We can use advertising. We can use marketing things. We can use publishers and books and things like that. However, is that what we trust in? Is that where our hope lies? No. I, I discovered something this past week that I, or this past month that I, I just couldn't believe it. I'm reading a book. It's all on, on celebrity Christian pastors and, and publishing and stuff like that. Do you know... Do you know, have you ever heard of a ghostwriter? Okay, see, I'm, okay, Mark, you're clueless. Everyone's like, yes, in unison, I think. I've never heard of a ghostwriter. Do you know that even in Christian publishing, the, the big names that you see on your book, do you know that sometimes they didn't write that book? That's disingenuous. Do you know that that, that Christian uh, authors can get a marketing campaign and buy their books so that they can excel to what? The New York Times bestseller list? What are we doing? Yeah, why do we need the Holy Spirit? We got marketing. We We have political power. We have laws. We have all of these things. We don't, God, why don't you just step aside and let us handle it? We got this. We're going to set up your kingdom right here on earth. We're going to do something that you weren't able to do. We're fooling ourselves. 
we should be ashamed. His kingdom is not of this world, and therefore, we don't trust in this world. His kingdom does not grow in that way. How does it grow? Glad you asked. Its expansion is through the proclamation of the truth of the gospel. That's how it grows. Verses 37 through 38a. Therefore Pilate said to him, So you are a king. Jesus answered, You say correctly that I am a king. For this I have been born, and for this I have come into the world to testify to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. Pilate said to him, what is truth? How did Jesus do it? Now, ultimately, we're going to see the ultimate, uh, I mean, ulti- next we're going to see the ultimate foundation of the kingdom, of how it comes about. But what did Jesus do? Did, you know, maybe Jesus didn't have the, the marketing tools that, that we have today. Actually, do you know Jesus at one point did have a, a self-elected campaign manager? If you had to guess, out of all the apostles, who was the self-elected campaign manager, who would you say? Who? Peter. Yeah, there you go, Peter. Yes, believe it or not, Peter stepped up and wanted to actually help Jesus with his ministry. In Mark, in the beginning of the gospel, which is absolutely crucial because it sets the tone for how Jesus is going to expand his kingdom, Jesus just heals his mom, right? And he's healing all these people, and Peter's all excited. Why? Because all these people are coming to him. And Jesus goes off, he takes a little rest, and then Peter wakes up, Peter comes to him, he's like, Where have you been? Everybody's here. You're, you're missing out. We got all these people. The healings, you got to keep up the healings and the miracles because they're really, really getting a great, great crowd, Jesus. This is great. Let me just take over. I got buttons. I got balloons. I got banners. I got everything. We're just going to blow this thing up. And what does Jesus say to him? No, I need to go into the other villages or the towns, which mean smaller locations, rural locations, to do what? To heal and to act miracles and to conquer? To do what? To preach. To proclaim the gospel. It is a primary aspect of his mission, and it's the primary aspect of ours. How do we conquer? Right here. We proclaim the truth of Jesus Christ. We answer Pilate's question to the world. We proclaim that he is king. We proclaim that he is truth. We proclaim that he is the way. And we proclaim that he is life. When you think of Mongolia, maybe an image like this comes into your head. When I think of Mongolia, I think of Attila the Hun, Genghis Khan, 
I've started reading a book. I couldn't finish it. I can't, I, it just put me to sleep. But it was pretty interesting from what I did read. But it's all about uh, one of those guys, Attila the Hunter, Genghis Khan. And do you know how the, the gospel came to Mongolia? Does anyone know how the gospel came to Mongolia? Well, it started in 1870s. Swedish missionaries arrived in Mongolia. It was actually called Outer Mongolia where they were at. And they spent 40 years, 40 years of blood, sweat, and tears. And after those 40 years, not a single indigenous church had been established. 1921, Mongolia earned the dubious distinction of being the only country in the world to voluntarily invite the Soviets to bring communism to their country. Religion was absolutely dead. They made sure of it. 1980, there was a young Mongolian who was named Yi, as he has no last name because they only had one name in Mongolia. Yi went to study at the University of Moscow. Part of his studies was studying English. There was a young Tanzanian student that gave him an English language Bible. Yi then studied the Bible for seven years and returned to Mongolia, rising to a top English interpreter position with the government. 1987, more than 100 years since those Swedish missionaries came. Yi was assigned to an American big-game tourist group which had come to Mongolia to hunt bear. Doug Coe was a Christian in that group. During the hunting trip, Yi found the opportunity to secretly ask Doug one question. Actually, two questions, but started off with this one. He said, do you know God? Doug nodded. They weren't really allowed to interact too much. So Yi had to wait three hours. Then he asked Doug another question. What is his name? Doug replied, Jesus Christ. On a cold day in November 1990, Yi was ordained an elder of the first Mongolian church in the history of the world. That's how Christ's kingdom conquers. One heart, one individual at a time, and there is no kingdom that can resist the power of the gospel to transform the people in it and take them from kingdoms of this world to become citizens of heaven. Amen? That's how it's done. That's how it continues to be done. God using people like you and me as we proclaim the truth of Jesus Christ, that He is Lord, that He is King, and that He is Savior, and that He's coming back. And when He does come back, yes, He will establish His kingdom. But in the meantime, it's His servants, it's His subjects that are going forth and proclaiming that truth, trusting in the power of the Holy Spirit to transform hearts. 
I don't care how young you are. I don't care how old you are. I don't care what education level you have. If you have the Holy Spirit, you can conquer kingdoms. That's how it's done. The question is, do we believe it? Maybe that's why the church isn't growing. Maybe because we're trusting in all these foolish, worldly things. We're not dependent on Him. One person at a time. One heart at the time. One heart at a time. That's how you and I became Christians. Isn't it? Is any different? Hasn't changed. Jesus proclaimed the gospel. People started following him. Notice he's saying, he's proclaiming the truth. And those who are of the truth do what? They hear his voice. What is crazy about this is Jesus is actually giving Pilate an opportunity to what? To believe. He's saying, Pilate, are you of the truth? Do you hear my voice, Pilate? Do you want to know what it's all about, Pilate? He switches it. He becomes the one asking the question. He becomes the interrogator. And trust me, we're in a world that doesn't believe in truth right now. We think truth is all upon us. I can make up my own truth. I can live as I want. They need to hear this truth, and they need to hear that truth. It's not my truth. It's not your truth. It's his truth, and that's the only truth that matters. And there will be pilots of this world that will refuse it or pretend to like it to a certain extent. It's not, only the, it's not only the proclamation of this truth, that Christ is king and he is the truth and the way and the life, with our lips, is it? Notice what he says when he says, those who are of the truth hear, hear my voice, they hear me. What does it mean to hear? It means to do what? To obey. And it's in the present tense in the Greek, so it's a continual action. So we continually do what? Hear his voice. How else are we to proclaim his truth? Not just with our lips, but with our lives. This is the hard part, isn't it? We proclaim his truth by living it out in our everyday interactions with this world that people look at us and be like, where are you from? Who, who are you? Why do you not do what we do. Why do you not trust in the things that we trust in? And then you get have a conversation. Well, I'm, a king. I'm a citizen of heaven. Do you want to know what that's all about? Let me explain to you. We have to match what we say with how we live. We have to. Are we going to get it right all the time? Absolutely not. But we need to strive towards that. And one of the biggest ways that we do it is representing Christ and representing his kingdom appropriately and correctly by fighting for the things that Christ fights for. That's how we live out this truth. We proclaim the kingdom with our lips and our lives. And I would add, part of obedience is what? Preaching the gospel. 
That's part of it. You got to talk. We have to talk to people. It's the only way that they are going to hear. We can have programs. We can have large and wonderful worship services. We can, we can fill Congress with Christian representatives. That's not how it expands. It's not. One person, one heart, one conversation at a time. And the truth that we are to proclaim is the foundational truth to every church in existence. That is the substitutionary atonement of our King. Jesus died for us. Jesus died for them. I'm not going to expand too much on this part because actually this is a transition verse where it's transitioning into the next thought, which this verse is actually going to be the main thrust of our next passage. However, I, I do believe that we need to tie it into this understanding of His kingdom, how it's, how it's established, and how we are to live that out as well. So 38b through 40. And when he had said this, Pilate, he went out again to the Jews, and he said to them, I find no guilt in him, but you have a custom that I release someone for you at Passover. Do you wish then that I release for you the king of the Jews? So they cried out again, saying, not this man, but Barabbas. We said before that most kingdoms try to protect their king. Because if the king falls, guess what happens? The kingdom is done. A notable example comes from the Allied invasion of Normandy on D-Day, June 6, 1944. British Prime Minister Winston Churchill desperately wanted to join the expeditionary forces and watch the invasion from the bridge of a battleship in the English Channel. U.S. General Dwight David Eisenhower was desperate to stop him from doing so, but he could not sway him. When it became apparent that he could not be dissuaded, Eisenhower appealed to the higher authority, King George VI. King George went and told Churchill that if it was the prime minister's duty to witness the invasion, then it was the king's duty as well. Churchill at that point knew that he could not risk the king's life like that, so he eventually backed down. The king needs to stay alive. If the king doesn't stay alive, guess what? The kingdom's in trouble. Well, guess what? That's not how Jesus' kingdom worked, did it? The king actually dies for the subjects. And not just the subjects, the people who were the king's enemies. Barabbas is, is, is no mere accidental character here, is he? It is absolutely crucial that we see this substitutionary point. Barabbas represents absolutely every single one of us. What's interesting is, is the incident with Barabbas actually places Pilate in a unique position. Barabbas was not just a robber. He was most likely an insurrectionist who committed murder. So who was the real political threat? Barabbas was. Jesus wasn't. Now Pilate is placed in this position, and the people are crying for the person 
who is the real rebel. They are crying for the one who is what? Truly guilty, the one who represents each and every single one of us, and I think we tend to forget that. Paul often reminds us of where he has taken us from, where God has taken us from. Ephesians 2.3, among them, we too, you and me, formerly lived how? In the lust of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath even as the rest. One of the most important truths that we need to get in our hearts, in our minds, in our heads, is that apart from the grace of God through the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus Christ, you and I would be in with the throngs. All of us. And even in that grace, even with the Holy Spirit, we kind of dabble still, don't we? So who are we to say that these people are beyond salvation? Who are we to condemn this world when Christ died for them just as much as he died for us? Humility, mercy, compassion, grace. We're all Barabbas, but God. Isn't that where he goes next in Ephesians? You were? You did all this, but God, not but us, not but me, not but my works, not but my, my, my interesting abilities, but God, by his what? Mercy and grace. Changed all that, didn't he? That's the, I, I type in Barabbas, and that's the picture that comes up. I, I don't know if that's from The Chosen, or does anyone know what that is from a movie? But that guy is not good looking. And it's funny because we, but guess what? Look in the mirror. Spiritually apart from Jesus Christ, we all look like that, don't we? Jesus Christ takes the place of Barabbas. Jesus Christ takes the place of you and me. Jesus Christ died for those people out there that we think look just like this, didn't he? The kingdom of Christ is made up of many, many people who are like Barabbas. And it's only Christ's mercy. He dies on behalf of the subjects who are in rebellion. Doesn't he say that? While we were yet sinners? When we were at enmity with God? When we were his enemies? Do we see a pattern here? If that's the case, if that's how the kingdom is established, and every church is grounded on this truth, and you and me are no better than this man right here, then, then how are we to live out in a world that are filled with people like that, with mercy, grace, and compassion, and proclaiming the truth knowing that the, the same grace and the same mercy that saved you and me is the same grace and the same mercy that can save them. 
no one is beyond God's reach in his kingdom. And not only are these the people that we are to look for, I, th- I think sometimes we want to, after we, we become saved, we, you know, we feel a little better about ourselves. So we want, we want to fill the church with respectable people that look like us, that think like us, that act like us, that dress like us. And we forget. We forget the position that we were taken from. We forget that, we're, that apart from God's grace, we would be in the same place. And not only do we proclaim this truth to individuals such as Barabbas, but we live it out, don't we? Who are we to sacrifice for? Them. Them. You, you need to be willing to give your life on behalf of Christ's kingdom for those people who are not part of it. That's what he does. To not look out for ourselves, but to look out for those. That's how his kingdom is going to expand when people realize we love them more than we love ourselves. That's the message of the gospel. They need us to live out this truth. We are not called to live like a king as we make our way to his kingdom, are we? We're called to live like the king, aren't we? The kingship of Christ while on earth is the model for all of his kingdom citizens. We are to live out this kingship. We are to exemplify it here in this earthly kingdom. We are to allow our heavenly home to guide and shape all of our actions, all of our operations and interactions here on earth. We are not to fight like this world. We are not to trust in the things of this world, but His Holy Spirit. Our weapons are not guns, they are not laws, they are not politicians. It is the Word of God proclaimed by the people of God with their mouths and with their lives as we make our journey home. And the truth that establishes this kingdom is the sacrifice of its king, a truth that we preach and a truth that we exemplify even at the expense of our own lives. Ours is not mansions, ours is not castles, ours is not servants or comforts, ours is suffering, pain, tears, trials, sacrifice, and death if need be. Ours is the life of our King. Father, we do not deserve what you have given us. You have extended mercy and grace to us here and now that will last for all eternity. Forgive us, O Lord, for when we have failed you in this way. Forgive us when we have placed 
this kingdom here on earth before your kingdom in heaven. Forgive us when we have not treated those individuals who are not part of your kingdom with disdain and hatred. Please forgive us. Help us to follow in the path of our King. Help us to love like He did and to live like He did. We need strength in this, and it is only through the power of your Holy Spirit that we can do it. Give us boldness and courage to proclaim your truth and keep us until you bring us home and we enjoy the riches of your kingdom forever. We pray in the precious name of Jesus Christ. Amen.